Hello and welcome back for a new episode of the Early Music Podcast, a series produced by Rema and dedicated to the future of the early music sector. My name is Yasmina Cernčić and it has been a while since we have released an episode. But with the Early Music Summit around the corner, we can't wait to share with you the contributions that we have received. Today's episode is a follow-up to a previous one dedicated to the path that links historic scores, researchers' input, and the artist's performance. Our guest, Margaret Bent, is an Emeritus Fellow of All Souls College in Oxford. She has dedicated her career to strengthening the link between researchers and performers with the conviction that the latter do need some codes to decipher the meaning of music notations before they can use them their own way. My name is Margaret Bent. I'm a musicologist and I'm talking to you from Oxford. Uh, Mutual respect between musicologists and performers has not always been good. The soprano Beverly Sills once said that musicologists are like middle-aged men who merely talk about sex. It's been true in the past, and it's true now, that some musicological pursuits are remote from performance, either too far away from the notes in abstract, critical or political questions, or too close to them in heavy-duty analysis. Instruments have become somewhat marginalized in mainstream musicology, which is a pity given their importance as a bridge to performance. It isn't the whole story. Recent years have seen a massive increase in funded research projects on performance-led scholarship and scholarship-led performance. There are also still plenty of musicologists, and I count myself among them, who are absolutely grounded in the notes. Most of my work is with the manuscripts, which are the only starting point for reviving music of the distant past. My task has been the recovery of damaged texts, decipherment of obscure notations, understanding of the contrapuntal grammars, and above all, trying to bridge the gap between what we can know and what needs to be done to bring old music from page to performance. But what kind of performance? We may be able to reconstruct some, but not all, of the conventions taken for granted by those who created and used that incomplete notation. But we can never bridge the sound gap. As with ancient dramatic texts, we may recover the words, understand the meaning, know something about pronunciation and gesture. But, in, but neither in the performative arts of drama or music can we ever know what it really sounded like. In both cases, there is a point when the musical or literary scholar hands over to the performer saying, here is the best we can do with establishing a reliable text together with some guidance on how to make sense of it. Now it's your job as performers to bring it alive to a modern audience. Just don't make indefensible claims for it, especially not that it is authentic. Non-musicians who like listening to early music often ask, which recording should I get? Who is doing it right? To which I answer, how could we possibly know who is doing it right? Historic recordings of speech and music remind us that we don't always like the sounds and performance styles of 100 years ago. So why would we have liked those of 700 years ago or want to emulate them? We may know a lot about early instruments, fingerings, musica ficta, pitch standards, ornamentation, but that's not the same as knowing what it sounded like, impossible before the age of sound recording. No, we remake music the way we like to hear it, and that has changed 
by the decade or more often throughout my lifetime. I was recently discussing recordings made by a well-known ensemble 25 years ago, hailed as the latest thing in their time. Oh, said my companion, they sound so 90s. It's as true of music, it's as true of theatre, as it is of fashions and conventions of dress, of speech patterns, of vocal training. So, I tell my colleague, get the recording you like the sound of, but don't imagine that it is anyway historically authentic. I welcome the decision of Rema to hold sessions on musicology, but there is still room for more two-way communication. Of course, the best advocates for close cooperation are when one person embodies both at a high professional level, all the way through from Thurston Dart in the 50s and 60s to Lawrence Dreyfus and many others today. I've never put myself forward as a professional performer, but I've been very active in promoting performance and understanding of early repertoires, and I've worked with several professional groups. Scholarly editions have not always been user-friendly. Commentaries giving crucial information about alternative versions and corrections are often separate from the music and indigestible. If musicologists don't always listen to performers, performers don't always listen to musicologists. It often happens that an old edition in the library lacks the latest information, such as the discovery of a new manuscript. Simply asking around or staying in touch with specialists in your repertory could lead you to a better version. And even using a good critical edition is not always enough. Just as singers need to have some understanding of the verbal language they are singing in, so do they also of the musical language. What sounds like closure in 19th century terms may demand onward movement in medieval music. For example, a chord with a third in may sound like a resting place, but in 14th century music it demands resolution onto a fifth. Some performers of 13th century music confidently sing forbidden diminished fifths that they didn't have the courage to correct. The older the music, the greater the problem of this kind of understanding. Ask musicologists. They may have new information for the piece you want to perform. They will usually be eager to collaborate. Concert programs often credit instrument makers, but not editions, so do credit them. Editions are not neutral. They're not mechanical transcriptions. Your editor may have painstakingly dealt with serious problems of decipherment. She may have needed to make judgments about errors, about text setting, about the inflections of musica ficta, mending a broken piece based on a close engagement with its musical grammar. I have for many years worked with mixed groups of musicologists, students, professional singers, learning to sight sing from medieval and Renaissance notation. This involves different skills from using modern scores. You have to listen to the other parts for both rhythmic adjustments and pitch inflections. I learnt notation by transcribing from one place on paper to another, but I would now only teach notation with a large element of doing, just as we gain fluency in spoken languages by oral practice. Apart from being immensely enjoyable, it's proved an excellent way of learning the musical languages conceptually quite different. The difference is comparable to reading a book in its original language and in translation. Even if, it's, even if it isn't practical for busy performers to work from original notation all the time, 
and not all manuscripts are legible enough, it's a good idea for performers to acquire these skills so that they know what lies behind the modern editions they are using. And above all, it's empowering to be able to deal with your music in the only form in which it has come down to us, its original manuscript. Thank you, Margaret Bend, for this excellent introduction to the why and how of the relationship between performers and musicologists. We are looking forward to hearing more on this topic during the dedicated musicology course of our Early Music Summit on Saturday, the 21st of November. If you haven't registered yet for the event, you still can and reserve your place for the several talks dedicated to musicology, instrument making, performance, education, recording, and of course the various speed meeting sessions and networking opportunities.